Dustin here, and just a reminder that our Board Game with Education holiday promotion is live. Check out some of the awesome board games we have on our site at boardgamewitheducation.com. We have some games like Cytosis, a game about cell biology, WearWords, a really fun word game that you can play with your family at home and virtually. And feel free to send us a message if you have any questions about the games on our site or how to play them. We're here to help you learn how to play the games, and find a great game for your game group, family, or learning environment. So again, BoardGamingWithEducation.com. Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Statz. Today, I'm joined by my favorite person in the world. Am I supposed to say something? <laughs> my wife, my Grace. My reaction to that? <laughs> so, we are going to talk about teaching games. And I'm excited to have Grace here with me because a lot of times, I want to say maybe almost all the time, we're the ones responsible for teaching players how to play the games. Uh, we have... A lot of friends over or family over and we're usually introducing new board games to them so i'm excited to chat with jake today and then have a follow-up discussion with grace about the conversation that jake and i get into about teaching games and how we can think about teaching games to our students in the classroom too so let's get into the episode and i'll be back with grace after our chat before we get into the conversation with jake a word from our sponsor This episode of Board Gaming with Education is sponsored by The World Game, a fun and educational geography board game. Exciting and fast-playing game for everyone. It is on Kickstarter right now. I highly recommend checking it out. I know I will be backing it because it makes for a great, fun educational game that everyone can play, as well as an amazing classroom resource. As you explore the different cities, countries, flags, you're doing it on this really cool, colorful board that comes with the entire world map. Again, it's on Kickstarter, so you're going to have to go on to Kickstarter, check it out for yourself. The link will be in the show notes. And again, that's the world game on Kickstarter. Welcome to a topical episode with Jake Michaels. So I'm super excited. We kind of chatted about what this topic is going to be about, and I'm excited to be joined by Jake, who is a director and producer in LA. He is the co-founder and producer of the show Good Time Society. So I'm excited to have him on the show and ha and learn a little bit about his insights about deciding what to include in teaching games, because that's a lot of what he's doing with with his channel too. Jake, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself for our listeners? Hi, yeah. Thanks for having me, Dustin. Uh, my name is Jake Michaels. I am a writer, uh, director, and producer here in Los Angeles. And as you mentioned, I just started a production company with my good friend, Becca Scott, which is called The Good Time Society. And that's where we cover board games, video games, strategy things, and um, also a little bit of nerdery with our Star Trek uh, our Star Trek podcast called To Boldly Watch. Oh, super awesome. I'm, I'm not a Star Trek fan. I mean, I, I do love I like the movies for the like a movie sake, but I'm sure there's some other <laughs> listeners out there that are big Star Trek fans. So 
I've never heard I like the movies for the movie's sake, but I'll take <laughs> yeah. it because I like the movies too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you should watch it. It's for all levels of Star Trek listeners, for those who are way in deep and also people who never really dip their toes in. It's a good entry because we start with um, The Next Generation, which is uh, – we don't go with the original series. We start with the one that actually started in the 80s because it's a little bit of a reference for people our age. But people of all ages listen. So, yeah, you should come check it out. That's awesome. Yeah, I I don't want to get too involved in discussion because it would be probably way over my head. But I know uh, <laughs> my wife had taken a university course that looked at Star Trek in, um, I guess, like classism and race, maybe. Um, I don't know. Ooh. That's, that's a... Oh, man. I wish I went to that university. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So we're going to talk about teaching games and what makes a good way of teaching games and looking at maybe some tips and tricks we can use as teachers or parents or just, I mean, maybe just board game hobbyists in teaching games. Um, so what is the term teaching a game, quote unquote? Ooh, what is the term? Yeah, well, for a little context of like where I come from, from it, I write and direct all of our how to play episodes for uh, Geek and Sundry and a show called How to Game, which is on Good Time Society. So I've been doing this for... Uh, I think about like three or four years now of uh, taking rule books for games and transitioning them into scripts uh, for Becca to read on camera to explain to people in largely like a 10 or 12 minute format. But for our purposes of today's discussion, I guess teaching a game is kind of uh, laying out the boundaries and the rules for which the game is going to take place. And that's really the one of the most important things, I think it might even be the most important thing about a game is the boundaries, right? Like what we are allowed and not allowed to do. And that's not to say that the rules are uh, holy or they can't be changed or anything like that. But it's important for everybody that's involved uh, to be on the same page. And the only way that can happen is if there are clear outlines of what's going on. Oh, man, this is this is already awesome because I was just chatting with someone about playing a game as the first thing you do for the school year and talking about how a community in the classroom can look very similar to the structure of playing a game. So I'm excited to, oh, sure. to kind of talk about this topic. Um, well, that's true for kids, but also for adults as well, because like even in classroom environments for um, adults, like people come in with trepidation and not really sure what they're what they're going to be learning. And it, this goes for like vocational skills or uh, secondary education or or just even just like a, a yoga class. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't open a yoga class with a game, I suppose, but you would open it with uh, some like uh how you doings and like uh some get to know you sometimes so like that can be really helpful for setting the tone of a room right right some of those things are very unconsciously established norms in the classroom or in a group so what would you say this is maybe a really tough question to answer but i think it's a good springboard to our topic what makes a good way of teaching games um, well, I think first you kind of need to know the context of which you are teaching it, right? So if you are a hardcore gamer and you're playing with other hardcore gamers who have played many games, you know you know all the different tropes that come with the game. You know all of the different strategies that, that come with the high-level stuff that has really in-depth rules. We're talking like the rule books that are 30 pages and like phases have steps and sub-steps and all that other stuff. Then you're probably comfortable just going through the rules by bullet point or even having those players teach themselves on their own in some way and then before starting the game kind of having a rules review. But that can be very different if you are a, a brand new gamer yourself and you're intimidated by this new game that you got, no matter what level it is, and you want to teach it to perhaps maybe your family or some friends who are not as experienced in board games. That's going to take a much different approach, right? So I think the most important thing is knowing 
who what the game is that you are doing and the people that you're teaching it to. I would say the other thing to consider is like when you're teaching it and like the environment, because I've taught games uh, at like a board game brunch before, and it's been very successful with that group. But I've taught that same game starting at 10 p.m. on a night when we'd already been drinking, and that was not as successful. So like it kind of just depends on your environment as well. Right. You gave me you gave me some flashbacks to uh, when we picked up Gloomhaven, and that's a big like massive <laughs> yeah hundred hour board game that played that's played over uh, various times. And I brought that rule book to bed with me a couple nights to, to kind of get a foundation of how to play so that when I did come teach it to our group, I kind of at least knew the basics and knew how things operated within the game. Yeah, well, and that's important for those in-depth ones, right, is you need to have one person who's the rule book guru, at least. Uh, sometimes it helps to have multiple, but usually someone has to, quote unquote, take the burden. And being the person who can teach the other people is important because you are the facilitator of not just the actual game, but the event that you guys are that you all are getting together for. Right. And I think that's super important, too, because whenever I think about using games and then applying it to either the classroom or education as a facilitator in the classroom, you should be knowledgeable about the game you're teaching. So you should definitely prepare before bringing it to the classroom. Well, and that's that's true. But sometimes I will say uh, you don't always have a lot of time to prepare or like there might be a situation where you are maybe you've got new students in a class or you were asked to teach something kind of last minute and you haven't had time to put things together. And it's important to like be comfortable like improvising a little bit and actually uh, having games in your back pocket or other tools that you can have in your tool belt to warm up a classroom or to make a create a game environment without necessarily having done all the prep. I used to I actually I realized in talking to you now, I've actually been doing games a lot longer than I thought in terms of my professional career, because before I came to Los Angeles, I worked in children's theater and I worked in the education department. And one of the classes that I mainly taught was improvisation, which is largely games <laughs> so uh even in the classroom environment like everybody really liked coming into that class in the first day because they kind of knew that it was going to be game based but there were a lot of people that were intimidated by improvisation because it's a very intimidating art form so i had to balance those people that were really enthused and those people who were super frightened and find a middle ground for both of them and game like warm-up games and name games and other word games were the best way to do that Definitely. And now I have a couple follow-up comments. One, we could have you on the show to just talk about improv games and using those in the classroom. <laughs> but also, I'm kind of thinking maybe I need to change the game we're going to play at the end of the episode to oh, okay. more right. improv style game, maybe. Well, I'm totally, I can improvise whatever you need. In terms of like <laughs> What game do you play? It's fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So would you say there are uh, games that are better suited for teaching people how to play? Like, is there a game that's maybe something that you would prefer bringing to a group of people that aren't familiar with board games or vice versa? Yeah, I definitely, again, like going back to what I said earlier about like, I kind of, if I'm going to pick a game, I'm picking the, I'm picking it based on the people I'm playing with and the environment I'm playing it in. So if it's just four of us and it's like my wife and me and another couple, 
and we just want a casual thing where we can still talk over it, that's going to be and like converse over it. That's going to be a very different experience than me and four of my college buddies who want to sit down for a six hour galactic diplomacy game or something like that. Like the baseline games of people. I've, I've met a lot of people the past few years who want to get into board games, but are intimidated by the depths of them. There are a certain amount of games that I kind of walk people into. So the example that I'll give is uh, one of my uh, one of our couple friends. They got Viticulture. I don't know if you know Viticulture. It is a worker placement game where uh, you own a vineyard and you take your workers to different uh, parts of the vineyard and you you grow grapes on your vines and you mash them up into wine and you sell the wine for points. Uh, it's much more complicated than I am summarizing now. Uh, but they were super intimidated by this game. And they asked me to come over and teach it. And we did it at a big dinner party where everybody had already had a bunch of wine. And it again, it started at like nine o'clock and it's a really long game. And not everybody was super into, I mean, they were excited about the board game, but they weren't into this level of, of depth. And so we struggled through it for a couple hours and we ended up abandoning it, but it was totally fine because everybody still had a good attitude about it because they had fun doing it, but it was just too much, right? So what I went did after that was I went back and I said, okay, let's just the four of us, my wife and you and another couple, let's let's just play these board games that have basic worker placement and let's get more and more complicated as we go. So like I started them out with like a non-worker placement game, um, like Point Salad and like Lords and Ladies or stuff like that. And then we progressed into like Lords of Waterdeep, which is like a very, uh, it has very basic things you can do on your turn, but it has a lot of complex strategy. And then we moved on to something like uh, Architects of the West Kingdom, which that has a lot of, uh, you have way more workers then and you have to spend them much more carefully. So they started lurking about worker management. And then after the pandemic is done, I plan to teach them finally their own game of viticulture. So it's like kind of creating a stepping stone of mechanics, ideally, if you know what their end goal is. Right. And that, again, I like going back to the classroom. That's a perfect example of how we could introduce games to our students who are not familiar with a lot of modern board game mechanics or even as a teacher kind of learning your way through the hobby because I know for myself playing board games I've I've always used games in class as a way to engage my students but I was using very games very much on the face value like I remember using like a roll and write game where it roll a die and then they would answer a question their partner would ask a question and then answer the question roll a die partner answer a question ask a question which isn't super engaging it works but then playing a lot of board games I've learned that there are a lot of other mechanics I can use. Like I had developed a negotiation game um, where each group had a company and they had secret agendas they needed to fill with their company. I would have never have thought about that game unless I hadn't played some board games with those secret agenda mechanic or secret role. I guess. Like the games that we like are so cognitively like <laughs> intensive that of course they are learning and they are um, applicable to a learning environment. I mean, not just the games that require you to count points are applicable to math, which feels like the obvious answer, but like social deductions, a good one um, in terms of just interacting with other people or having objectives and like building a strategy to like build an engine for a game or something like that. Like they are so applicable to learning that I'm, I'm kind of surprised we don't incorporate more games just flat out in curriculum in schools like always. And for, for students who really struggle with certain subjects, it's a great way to bring them in. I can't, I can't stress enough how kids will easily go for a game that involves math, but will be terrified of math if it's on just a worksheet. 
Right. I think I don't. I don't know if I want to toot my own horn, but <laughs> I have had started tutoring a, a student in Taiwan when he was five, and I had brought in some of his interests. And one of his interests were, was Pokemon. And now he's eight or nine, and he loves English. And I wonder. I wonder if part of that is because of that nurturing environment that English, that subject of English, created for him, versus maybe math, where he didn't get that. You know that added layer of Pokemon and math. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, because of like him he, he, he playing so much Pokemon, which he played it in English because it was written in English, the cards he had and stuff, and the game. Yeah, essentially, I would just it was even more simple than that. We started learning the alphabet, and instead of um, just showing him letters, I showed him Pokemon that were attached to letters using Pokeball. So he would use a Pokeball. That's so good. Like, who wants to look at a flashcard with just the letter? Or like, yeah, we know A stands for Apple. Who cares? We'd rather it starts for, uh, what's the aardvark one? <laughs> like, I get Yeah. <laughs> so we kind of talked about bringing, introducing players to new mechanics, and that is a way of maybe teaching games from a simple game to a more complex game. How would we break down the teaching process, like teaching a game a certain way? So I always start teaching a game by starting with the objective. I think it's too easy when you're teaching a game to like look at the rule book and kind of go through it sequentially. But a lot of rule books nowadays, not all of them, but a lot of them, for some reason, don't put like the winning condition or the whole game objective until the very end. They'll be like, once someone has uh, 12 crescents, the game ends and that person is the winner. And we learn that after four pages of other rules. It's like people need to know first off what they are trying to do before they need to understand how to do it. It's kind of like teaching someone to build uh, an Ikea, <laughs> like an Ikea um, piece of furniture without them even seeing what it was at the outset, right? <laughs> so I always start with the objective. And then I've generally re I've already set up the board in some way. So there's a visual component as well. So I can easily point to stuff. And then I try to organize it in a way that's not too that's not too detail oriented. So we can kind of go step by step. So once you've explained the objective, you kind of can skip the setup unless it's important. And, and then you can get into gameplay. Sometimes setup is important because some games, like their strategies depend on the things you do at setup or certain players get certain things. So that that's a stipulation. But for the most part, if you can get right into gameplay and tell a player what they do on their turn and how the game is made up of either turns or phases or does everybody go sequentially or does everybody go at the same time? Once you've outlined that, it's easy to kind of like diverge into subsystems like if there's like you can go to the market here's all the things you can do at the market it's easy to stop it's better to stop and just say okay here's what we can do on your turn you can go to the market you can go to the quarry <laughs> you can go to I'm, I'm making this game up uh, you can go to the center uh you can do all these other things but then instead of like every time you explain those then explaining all the things within it it's easy to get the broad picture first make sure your players understand then get specific either when they ask or when you have time to to uh, go into the details that's kind of my main strategies for teaching a game no matter the depth of the game is like objective a little bit of setup if it's necessary and then what happens in a turn right i think that that's a good breakdown of the process and then kind of looking at it from teaching a board game for learning maybe or bringing a board game to class when would you say is an important part or important time to introduce how it ties into the course objective or the curriculum as a teacher man it's it's kind of better if you don't like the best things the best experiences i had as a teacher is when the students told me when they saw how it applied 
especially with improv games is like you would teach them you would teach them these absurd games where they were just making you know theater is sometimes really hard to explain on an audio format but it's very hard to explain in an improv format too because warm-ups are sometimes so uh for lack of a better term hokey or silly because you're doing like hand gestures or weird sounds and building on those sounds but people don't immediately understand why we're doing that but it's a communication device and once they started realizing that oh I'm picking up on signals that aren't necessarily verbal, then I, I'm getting body language. And when I, I didn't want to have to tell them that. I wanted them to tell me that because that means they are learning it on their own. So I kind of dodged your question by saying never, but <laughs> I mean, ideally, <laughs> no, no. ideally, like that's the whole point is like if you don't tell your students that this is part of the class, they'll just want to play the game all the time. And then if they want to play the game and they're still learning, then it's win-win. Right. And I think it's important for for students to to be able to see in the game where the learning ties into. Yes, and I think they will see that. Like especially if you are good about picking your games and 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 seeing how that applies. I I have a a neighbor friend whose child is really struggling with math and I'm planning to give them um point salad. Do you know point salad? I know of the game. Um I I know there's a lot of ways you can score points and I know it's mathy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is mathy, but like it's it's mathy in a pretty simple way and again, like Lords of Waterdeep, it's a game that you can't do much on your turn. You only have like one or two options, so it's not overwhelming for the gamer. But where the strategy come in is trying to optimize your points. And I don't know if a salad is the most appealing thing for kids, but I will say like in the context of a game, it's way easier for them to want to do multiplication if they are trying to do something leisurely than they are if they're doing it on a worksheet. Right, 100%, yeah. And what would you say as a teacher or maybe a parent using a game like Point Salad, how would you suggest teaching that to a, a student or their kids? What are some like tips you might give them? Um, well, something simple like that is uh, to just sit them down and tell them that it's a, it's a game and like take it out of the context of school, like take it out of the context of learning, especially – I would say not all kids like dislike learning. Lots of kids love school and are, are eager for those things. But uh, there's there's kind of a attention when it comes to school, especially like right now with the pandemic where there's a lot of uh, there's more homeschooling. There's more um, parent interaction with with kids homework right now, which is super great and also really stressful. And I totally understand that. So maybe taking it out of the school slash learning context when you at the outset. And going right into explaining the game just as that is, as a game. And then you, they'll see that they're doing math. Like they're going to struggle to count at some point. So they're going to get the connection. You don't, need to, you don't need to brief them too much about it. I think it's more important to go into it with a, a, an aspect of fun because uh, when people are having fun, they are more open. And when they're more open, they're more receptive to learning. You make a good point is <laughs> they're doing math, but and when it's in a game context, there's there's the desire to do it because it's a game versus because it's math. Yes, exactly. When you're teaching a game to new players, what are some ways you can keep them engaged? Because when I'm thinking as a teacher, I've taught how to play board games um, for English language teaching, and I'm teaching to non-native English speakers. So some things I've done is used like visual cues and also examples throughout the throughout the process of, process of teaching, what are some ways that you would suggest to keep players engaged? Yeah, yeah, visual cues are the best one, I think. I think you hit it on the head there, especially with like, if you have a lot of components in a game, don't give them all to them at once. 
Like, don't hand them all of their things and say, okay, I'm going to explain what each one does. Give them one thing at a time and explain what it does. And then you'll have something else to reveal later as like, ooh, <laughs> there's a surprise. You also have a market board. Um, so like you can, uh, yeah, you can, uh, visual aids are really good and examples are really great as well. But I think it's, I don't really have trouble keeping people in gauged unless it's a it's too many people you know what i'm saying and like side conversations are happening or they already kind of know the rules and some people don't need a recap and others do but really where my struggle can be is making sure making sure people understand right um because some some people who especially in the classroom environment who don't want to look like they don't understand or are self-conscious about that will say they do and then don't and it's really important that everybody gets those concepts. So rather than necessarily calling one person out and saying, do you get it? It's helpful to just provide examples on your own to make sure it clicks in other ways. But uh, I mean, asking questions and having people speak back to you is the best way of engagement in a lot of forums, right? So asking them if if they understood what you can do when you're at the market and how they spend their money before moving on to the next session is kind of the best way. For sure. And I think you kind of hinted at something too, that there are different types of learners, both for learning a board game and in the classroom. And I've kind of noticed this in my teaching that I'm explaining something and maybe I didn't explain it for that type of learner when they're asking me a question later in the game. I know for me, I'm very, I'm not very picky at all when I play a board game. I just want to dive in and just do it and see how it interacts with what the moves I'm making, how they interact together with the game. But I know other learners kind of really need everything before they can get going with the game not only do they need everything they sometimes need everything multiple times i think we forget the like the, the those of us who are super experienced in board games we have done something unconsciously that i don't think we always realize which is that we learn the mechanics of all games in a lot of ways because after you've played a hundred of these board games, you start to see a lot of the similarities in the way they are built. Like you're like, oh, this is a worker placement and it has these mechanics similar to these five games I know. Or this is a uh, deck builder, which a lot of these are super built alike and have follow the same basic principles. Well, for someone who's playing their very first deck builder, it's kind of overwhelming. So they're going to need to repeat it's going to need to be repeated to them that, yeah, you discard your whole deck at some point and then you shuffle it and start it over again. And you, if you say it once, you think, okay, well, they now have that information. But that's not, as we all know, that's not how learning works, especially when you are learning a lot of things at once and you don't have an opportunity to, you know, take notes or write it down. So it's key to be altruistic or uh, empathetic uh, about other people's understanding and make sure that it's okay to repeat things. And even though you may have explained what you do when you go to the market several times, it's good to go over it again to make sure that they are still fully on board with it because they can forget, especially when they're looking at all the other things that are happening on a big old board game right and then i have a kind of a follow-up question more of a personal preference as far as what you think about sharing so i know when i'm teaching a game and there's kind of this idea that oh i know how to play and i'm the best at it because i know how to play but oftentimes that's not the case do you teach uh as someone's going through the game optimal strategies as they're learning the game um rarely uh unless it's like kind of an obvious thing uh, well, I, like uh, if it is obvious, I will point it out because sometimes if it's like an optimal strategy that everybody does, it's like, oh, well, you don't want to be the new person who didn't pick the from the fastest race car of <laughs> in the pit, you know, because everybody else did. So like if there's like a convention that is generally you want to do this, I will point it out. But 
that can get really overwhelming really quickly if you're giving tips and tricks within the rules too. So generally not. I think that applies to, again, the classroom where as a teacher, we don't necessarily want to share with them sometimes how to exactly play the game because that's part of the exploration process yeah, of yeah. both the game and learning. And also, if you're super good at the game and you're teaching it to three people who are brand new to it and you're probably going to crush them, like go ahead and mention some of the optimal stuff and then don't necessarily play optimally. I'm not saying sabotage the game or give them the win or lose intentionally. I'm saying try an alternate strategy where you can win in a more impressive way to make it harder for yourself and even the playing field a little bit. Because also, you're going to want these people to play the game with you again. And if you murder them at it, they're just going to think, oh, it's because that person knows the game so well, they'll always do that, which isn't necessarily true because once they learn it properly, they can do the same thing. Right, right. Awesome. So do we have anything else to kind of chat about before we move into the game? Anything anything you want to share? Maybe a last word before we move into our game? I mean, I, I just, I, I think in, in having this conversation with you, I've realized how like, how much I want to push games in general to be in the classroom and to have a more game-like environment in all learning. And that, that doesn't necessarily just uh, limit itself to board games. I think this, it's what uh, it's what a lot of people call the open mode is when you are in kind of game mode and willing to play and you're less self-conscious and you're more open to creativity and uh, new ideas. Well, that that generally happens during games. And then when we go back into the analytical mode, uh, which, you know, you kind of shift in between it a lot. And when you're analyzing either your rules or your your strategy or afterwards you're and you're thinking about what you've learned. Uh, that's the closed mode. And so that's what's valuable for taking in that information, but for, uh, for actually, sorry, for processing that information, but for taking in initially, you want to be in the open mode. So play a game and do it as much as you can. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't kind of didn't think about why well, I didn't know about that, but I had maybe known about the idea, uh, when my students would play a game and they were more of the shy type in class, but then when we would play a game they were the ones that were kind of leading the game and the most right. vocal in the game right? too yeah it's because they're comfortable they're not self-conscious about anything well i mean they're self-conscious sure but like they're they're not as self-conscious about learning or about whatever they are self-conscious about they are they are they can let down their guard a little bit and they can just immerse themselves in something that is not important because games that's what i love about games is like they don't matter <laughs> Like, and, and as an advocate for games, I, I think they're so important. I think they are truly important in terms of our interaction, but the actual game and its effects, it's not, it's not important. And we can take it super seriously and we can like have a lot of intense uh, battles with our friends about them. But like at the end of the day, it's just a game. So I love that we can get into something that is so not real that it doesn't matter, but we can get it in such a way that we can still learn a lot from it. I like that. Yeah, for sure. So Jake is going to stick around for our game, and Grace and I are going to talk a little bit more about teaching games. Well, one thing that stood out from the conversation you had with Jake was what goes into preparing for teaching games, uh, keeping in mind both context and environment. I He was talking about how his experience of teaching a game to a group of people drinking late at night, didn't quite work so well. Uh, it kind of reminded me of when I first played Food Chain Magnate. Um, you started teaching me at like uh, 11 p.m. 
and we didn't get to start playing till like one or two and it was just not the best time to start a game um but taking into account who you're teaching the game to and what the environment is like is really important and it can be transferred into the classroom in terms of what level your students are at, how familiar they are with playing games in the classroom. Actually, one thing I noticed when I was introducing games in, in my classroom was a lot of the stuff that I was preparing for and thought might be um, a little harder to understand um, was actually clicking a lot faster because of my students and their uh, familiarity with uh, not so much board games but video games I had a lot of video game players uh, so one thing I realized after getting to know my students a little bit more was there were certain things that I could not necessarily skip over but not necessarily have uh, prepped like a 10 minute explanation of like a certain concept which was nice uh but then thinking about what other areas in my explanation i might need to emphasize right and i think piggybacking off of that if you are a teacher that is just using games for the first time you're going to want to start with an introductory level type of mechanic or game not get too crazy but eventually you can ramp up the types of games you bring into the classroom because you can build on those things. And that's one example that Jake brought up with introducing his friends to worker placement games. If you're not familiar with that mechanic, well, you can introduce players to something very similar and kind of build your way into different types of worker placement games. I mean, there's a lot of complex ways that game designers have built on that mechanic now too, where you can kind of capture play capture workers in different areas. So, in education, we always talk about uh, the importance of scaffolding and not just throwing kids in the deep end, so to speak, uh, but working them little by little. Like first you learn numbers before you go straight to uh, adding numbers. And that's uh, that's the only example I can think of right now. But uh, just working them slowly into uh, the topic and the same thing goes for games because some games are a little more complex and depending on your classroom size and uh, how much time you have things won't work the same in your classroom uh, so starting off small allowing students to kind of have an idea of how this the game would play out and then introducing more complex games is a great idea Right. And I want to ask you, too, because you and Jake kind of share some similar teaching background experience where he had taught drama and you taught theater at your school. This was now, what, a year, two years ago, maybe? <laughs> yeah. So point? I also taught drama, my drama class in a high school in Taiwan. And I did something very similar to what Jake was talking about of how you start off with basically like uh, warm-ups or improv at the start of class. And they are essentially games that uh, students are able to not only become comfortable with uh, each other, but also with e expressions and things like that. And I definitely enjoyed those classes because 
we became a lot closer as a group and as a class because students were kind of coming outside of their comfort zone and those games really allowed them to be creative and allowed them to not take themselves so seriously or not really focus too much on uh, the social norms in high school. And I don't know, we had a lot of fun. Yeah, I think that's one thing that Jake had mentioned too, right, is building relationships through games. And that opportunity to do that is very strong when you play a game to build those relationships. Yeah, and uh, one thing he also mentioned was he likes to have students, not ne- not necessarily uh, the teacher be the one to tell them what they should be learning from the game, but the students kind of take ownership of their learning and express uh, to the teacher how they can connect it to the subject they're learning. Um, this doesn't work for all classes, but definitely um, saw that in my drama class as well. Uh, with different games we were bringing into the classroom, I didn't necessarily have to say, like, in this <laughs> in this warm-up, uh, you're going to be learning the importance of facial expressions or something like that. I didn't really have to lay it out that way. Um, of course, as a, a teacher, we always circle back and try to reiterate the learning, uh, but a lot of the times students can connect the dots, so allowing them whether it's an an open discussion after the game or an exit ticket um, to internalize what they were doing and how they can apply it to your normal uh, classroom learning is really important. And speaking of improv in theater we're going to jump into our game that is based off of improv. It's called Snake Oil. And using Jake's logic to teach the game that we talked about today on the show, I want to start off with the kind of background of the game and the goal, which is you are a snake oil salesman, which is based off of the old Western kind of idea that these quote unquote doctors would sell snake oil to help with a lot of different cures. Maybe you had wanted to have softer skin. Well, they would sell you the snake oil, which was actually a placebo to help you have softer skin. So the game's based off this idea of the snake oil salesman. And in the game, you are trying to sell a product to a different customer. And you get a hand of five cards that are random words, and you're trying to sell it to a different customer that might be a cheerleader, a bank robber, or anything else. So, Grace, you are the customer. You're going to listen to the sales pitch by myself and Jake. And the customer that you are going to be is a rock star. So let's listen to. Ooh, I'm excited. <laughs> let's listen to the pitch from myself and my product, and from Jake. This is a, a gravity canoe that you can take on to your world tour you go on as you share your music with the world. And not only can you take this gravity canoe across the ocean, it also transforms into a vehicle that you can ride across the U.S. to perform your shows. And not only that, you can also take the gravity canoe on stage with you as you 
ride the waves of different fans that are enjoying your music too. Whoa. So sign up now for an early offer of the Gravity Canoe. Oh, that's good. So you can not only take it on waterways, you can take it crowd surfing as well. Yeah, crowd surfing, right? Yeah, gravity is a great word. That's a good choice. Uh, well, I have a, I have quite a product for you today, though. The the old ball grave, the, you're going to need one of these. So if you're a rock star that likes to drop things from the ceiling at the end of your show, like most rock stars do, um, after your either your pyrotechnics are done or your flashing lights or your strobe effects or any of the awesome videos that you have playing on the big screen behind you, you're definitely going to want to drop some balls from the ceiling, much like it was like, uh, I don't know, like an election celebration or something. But what do you do with all those balls on the concert floor once the concert goers have left? I mean, you're going to have to rehang them again, right? Not if you have a ball grave that's right there is a funnel system below the uh concert that we can install which is called the ball grave and it funnels all the balls down into a hole and then shoots them out through a vacuum system back to the top of the concert hall so if you want to have a tidy crewless by the way crewless <laughs> device that gets your balls back up to the ceiling go ahead and get ball grave you can sign up now for a hundred percent off your first ball grave installment uh, go to ballgrave.co <laughs> awesome. I'm all in for less work and more automation for rock stars. <laughs> awesome. Gravity so, was such a good one to get. I was like, oh, I want that one. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I kind of, yeah, it just kind of looked like it went. Well it was together. between that and Gravy Motor, which was just like, uh, <laughs> it feels like a fondue fountain, but for gravy. And then I just yeah. didn't want to have to go down that route. <laughs> awesome. All right, so those are some pretty awesome products, and you now have to choose. You only have enough money to choose one. You can't buy both things to add to your world tour. Oh, man. Do you want the ball graveyard? Boo. <laughs> or do There's you a want, bias there. <laughs> or do you want the gravity canoe? Yeah. So... Okay, the gravity canoe sounds interesting, except I am very bad at just balancing in general. So I feel like at some point, if I try to stand or something, it, it just wouldn't be pretty. Oh man, I forgot to mention that as part of the product features. <laughs> yeah, I tried riding a skateboard once and immediately fell. Um, and then... Maybe it's just because I've been recently like cleaning our house <laughs> that uh, the ball, what was it? Ball graveyard. You don't <laughs> even know the name of the ball. I don't need to. It just works so well. It sold me without the name. Um, I think that would be super helpful um, on the operation side of the rock star. But I guess, yeah. Yeah. It would just be faster as a rock star to be able to. Uh, wrap up and quickly move to the new next city yeah i was i was watching you listen to our sales pitch i knew you were gonna pick the ball <laughs> graveyard <laughs> all right grace thank it allows me to go to more cities and rock out more <laughs> <laughs> faster Well, Jake, thank you so much for coming on the show. If someone wanted to find what you're doing or reach out to you, where might they do that? 
Yeah, you can uh, find me personally on social media at the Jake Michaels, and my last name Michaels is spelled without an A, so it's the T H E J A K E. M-I-C-H-E-L-S. Additionally, I make some awesome board game, video game, and Star Trek-ish content on Good Time Society, which is at Good Time Society. And we have an awesome YouTube where you can check out our videos with myself, Becca Scott, and our many of our friends. That's youtube.com slash Good Time Society. Awesome. Thank you again so much, Jake. Yeah, thank you, Dustin. Uh, I want to talk more. All right, Grace. Thank you for coming on the show. If anyone wanted to reach out to you, I know they can check you out or (laughs) (laughs) I know they can reach you through our website. I'm happy to forward any other um, information onto you, but do you have a different way that people can reach you? Yeah. um, Just reaching me on the website or on our Instagram as well. I was originally taking over uh, board game with education Instagram, but um, had to stop recently, um, kind of working on my own ceramic venture. Ooh, uh, ceramic so <laughs> that's what. What's the name of the Instagram account? Oh, for my ceramics, uh, it's GVW uh, dot studios. Um, but kind of unrelated. So you can reach me at Board Gaming with Education um, if you comment on that Instagram or also our Board Gaming with Education email. I'm sure Dusty will be able to forward it along. All right, Grace, as always, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you all as well. Thank you for listening in this week. If you liked what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games, or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening, and until next time.